And uh, oh, it's, good. it's good to be together tonight. I'm excited because we are continuing with the series that we call Patterns. Um, and like I said, when we started the series, we really believe that God has given this to us because God wants to reestablish or have us reestablish in our lives godly patterns, right? otherwise known as spiritual disciplines, which bring us into a greater place of awareness of Him, intimacy with Him, love for Him, power for ministry, and on and on and on and on. Tonight, um, we're picking off sort of from where Shelley left off last week. We are, we're going to be looking at solitude and silence tonight. Uh, last week, Shelley looked at um, contentment, right, um, and sort of being happy or satisfied with the things that we have and, and, and getting rid of the excess. Tonight, we're going to be looking at silence and solitude. But I wanted to start off, can you hear me? Great. I wanted to start off tonight by just reminding us that the patterns are not in and of themselves glorious things and um, virtues, right? You, you do them for a reason, and what's magnificent about these things is how they position us before the Lord and how they make us ready to receive from Him. The patterns aid us towards something, gaining something. They are a means to an end. It's who we are in front of and before while we are practicing the disciplines and putting these patterns into place that's most significant and how the, it positions our hearts. So tonight as we look at solitude and silence, I want you to remember that they serve a purpose and they are a means to an end, right? And when we think about the patterns, just remember they are always disciplines and patterns for a spiritual purpose. And so I had to realign myself and just remember that because I think as a, as a culture, we like to go out on holiday and especially the older generation, all right, we like to just sit in peace and quiet. I just want some peace and quiet, right? And so you hear them saying, well, I just want some peace and quiet. I just want to get away. But very seldom is that for anything else other than for peace and quiet, right? For the Christian, solitude and silence is a pattern in life, and it's about getting away. It's about being alone. It's about being silent for the purposes of spiritual growth, right? It is not empty. It is saturated with the desire to grow closer to the Lord. However, most people nowadays, when we, when we think about the word solitude and silence, it communicates for us something totally undesirable, Right? I'm thinking about the younger generation and my generation. We, we seem to feel like or think that these words are sad right, and lonely. They carry that sort of connotation that they're even maybe perhaps scary words. And because of that, the idea of silence and solitude doesn't really elicit any excitement and joy and desire to engage in those things. It's also sad that even in the church, many Christians wouldn't associate the words silence and solitude with wonderful spiritual growth. And there's a couple of reasons for that, right? One of them is because we live in a day and an age where, where silence and solitude is used as a punishment, right? <coughs> it might have been, it's been one of those things we just do. Have you ever been told to keep quiet and sit in the corner, you're being naughty, all right? Or don't say a word, this is detention. You say a word and you're going to get into trouble, you're going to write out more pages and you come back again next week. Right, silence is used as like punishment. Right, and what happens when you tell somebody not to do something? They want to do the very opposite. Right, and so silence is seen as this thing that restricts you from doing what you want to do, and that's talk. In prison, if it's not bad enough to be in prison, one of the things they do to punish you in prison is send you to solitary confinement. Right, it's a form of torture. And so when we hear about solitude and silence, I think generically or universally there's this idea that this isn't really a great thing. 
The second thing is, the second reason is because we live in a world where technology and technological advancements and the busyness of everyday life has become and is all-consuming. Right? I don't know if you've noticed, but we're getting busier and busier and busier. It's almost as if somebody has taken the brakes off of the roller coaster and it's just not going to stop. Right? We rush around from home to school and then to work. From there, we have extramural activities after our meetings, and we're scheduling more and more and more of that in. There's our social lives, our online social lives, our family lives, emails we still need to respond to, voice notes we still need to send, messenger messages we need to type up and read, news we need to catch up on, songs we need to listen to, all that sort of stuff. It just goes on and on and on. And the problem is that this incessant busyness and desire to be busy has become the norm for us. Right? It's become the norm. It's, it's crazy to not be busy. Because if you're not busy, you must be lazy. Right? And it's become our safe place. It's what we know. We know it so well. Um, I forget the gentleman's name. He, he, his whole doctrinal thesis was on how we've become addicted to busyness. And how we need it as a crutch to get through life. We've become so addicted that we just want to become more and more busy and we justify our lack of busyness by comparing ourselves to the person that we know who's the busiest, right? And by people around us. As a result, the idea of silence and stillness and solitude scares us because it threatens to rob us of the thing that gives us our fix, right? You might not think you're addicted to busyness, but just have a look at the table of your life and see how cluttered it is with stuff, you speak to people in the church and the main reason why they won't get involved with something new or they don't want stuff to happen on the weekends or they can't make weeknights is because I'm too busy. Too busy. There's this ever-increasing need to be busy and successful. I just want to suggest to you tonight that you need to take a break more than you think you do, more than the world suggests to you you need to. Right? From the chaos and from the noise, from the crowds, more than you think you do, more than you realize you do. May I suggest to you that you and I are human beings, not machines. Right? We're not machines. God has created us to live in healthy rhythms, healthy rhythms of silence and noise, community and solitude. Obviously, there are going to be times when we are busier, right? There are going to be times where we, we're busy for longer, where we spend more time being busy than we do taking a break. But if the atmosphere of your life is a constant, perpetual busyness, I want to say to you that that is not biblical, nor is it godly, to live in a constant state of busyness. It's unhealthy to always want to be around people as much as it is unhealthy to never want to be around them, right? It's unhealthy to constantly surround yourself and fill your day and fill your life with busyness as much as it is to never want to do anything. God has created us for cycles and seasons, rhythms and cadences, and therefore, being quiet, being alone, being silent, taking a break, removing yourself, unplugging yourself, is going to be and has always in the past been a necessity for human life and for our health, spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally. 
And I think more so in our day and age, the excesses and drawbacks of this world and our busyness has proved to highlight the valuableness or the, or the, or the great need we actually need more than ever to get away. It's also served in my life to highlight the blessing and the, the joy of being silent and alone before my king. There's a guy by the name of Paul Tillich, and he said this. He said, language has created the word loneliness to express the pain of being alone, but it has also created the word uh, solitude to express the glory of being alone. And I, and I think God wants to remind us of the glory of being alone with him. I think God wants to redeem for us this idea that we need to take a break more than just on the weekends and sit in front of the TV and switch off that way because that is even still busyness. But I believe God wants to show us and remind us of the Spirit that it is a beautiful thing to establish a proper pattern of solitude and silence in our lives for the glory of his name and for the kingdom if we're going to achieve for him what he wants us to achieve. So what we're going to do tonight in pursuit of this understanding is we're going to look at a few scriptures that highlight silence and solitude. And, and embedded in those scriptures, right, are the reasons and purposes for solitude. Also the difficulties and challenges that come with being silent and seeking a time of solitude. As well as the blessings that come from being alone and being quiet with the Lord. Another really cool thing is by looking at the scriptures that highlight solitude and silence, it also proves that these things are biblical. Right, we don't just thumbsuck and go, oh, this is a good idea. Silence and solitude, we want our people to be alone and rested. Let's make something up. No, this is biblical, right? And just like fasting, it's in the scriptures, but it's not commanded to you. This is not a legalistic thing that we need to hold on to. You're not going to impress God more. You're just going to be blessed when you put these things into place in your life. So we're going to begin, right, Matthew uh, chapter 14, verse 12 to 14. Right, and in this we're going to send, you can unpack a whole lot more than what I'm going to unpack in these verses. But this is what just stood out for me, firstly, in this passage. That in solitude and silence, our hearts are exposed to God in such a way that He's able to restore them. Right? When you go for open heart surgery, they've got to open you up to get to your heart. Right? And sol solitude and silence plays that role, and it does that for us. It positions us before the King in a way that not doing it wouldn't allow you to do. This is what it says. It says in verse 12, and the context of this is Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, has been beheaded, right? And Jesus was close to his cousin. Their moms, Jesus' mom and John the Baptist's mom's mom were very good friends, right? They loved each other deeply, and John the Baptist gets beheaded, and it says his disciples came and took the body, speaking about John the Baptist, and buried it. Then they went and they told Jesus, that his cousin had been beheaded. And when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. The first verses speak about Jesus finding out some terrible news and then what he did in response to the news. And it seems to me, at least when I read it, a little bit strange that Jesus in this situation would withdraw and go and be alone. You can imagine that his heart was sore. You can imagine that he was overwhelmed with emotion. You can imagine that, his, that maybe his thoughts were in turmoil and upside down. There was confusion, perhaps even anger at the fact that his cousin had been beheaded. But it's in this time that Jesus chooses solitude. And I had to ask myself, 
God, why? Why does Jesus choose solitude here? And this is just what I feel the Lord laid on my heart in answer to that question, why? It's not because Jesus didn't desire the love and the support of family and community. It's not because he didn't believe, right, that that love and support would be ineffective or that he didn't need it or that it's not necessary for us. It's not because he didn't value the concern and the love of those closest to him, his disciples and his family, or that he didn't want to be with his extended family in that time. But because Jesus knew that ultimately healing would come from his Father. That's why. And from being in his presence, being alone with God would remove distraction and expose his heart and its condition and allow the Father to minister to him and to bring restoration. See, we've come to believe that being alone is sad, but Jesus knew that being alone with his Father wasn't loneliness, it was solitude and it was healing. It doesn't mean that Jesus was instantly healed and completely healed and there was no mourning, no grief, no nothing. It just means that Jesus knew in that moment what I'm wrestling with can only be dealt with before the Father. That is my source. And anything good anybody gives to me in, in um, compassion and love and, and sort of like, um, what's what I'm looking for? Um, comfort is actually from the Father through them. But in this time, I'm going to choose to withdraw and I'm going to go and be alone with the Father and I'm going to allow him to sort my heart out here. So Jesus goes in his way with the Father. And he doesn't stay there for forever, Right? Notice the heart condition of Jesus after his return from solitude. It says that he had compassion on the crowd that were waiting for him on the shore. Right? In times of severe grief, whether you've lost a loved one or something has happened that has produced that sort of pain in your heart, the last thing anybody thinks is that you are the one who should be giving compassion, that you're the one who should be loving and pouring out. May I suggest to you that I believe that from Jesus' time alone with the Father, he gained a perspective on his pain and his hurt, which allowed his heart to once again show compassion and pour himself out into people's lives. That is supernatural. That is kingdom. When you are facing great grief and trial, it's not to dismiss it. It's to go before the Father and allow him to deal with it. And when that happens, you are able in that situation to produce stuff that the world thinks is impossible, and that brings glory to God. Right? So Jesus comes back, and he ministers to people. I think right, God not only ministers to us through community, but in solitude, in those alone times with him, when often it's believed we shouldn't be alone, that's when the Lord is able to do some of his deepest work in our lives. Jesus knew that solitude with his Father was healing and not sadness, not loneliness. But this is also why I think, and I think about my own life, why, why practicing solitude and silence can sometimes be a little bit challenging and a little bit scary, right? Because it forces us to be alone with ourselves and with God, without distraction, and that context has an amazing way of rapidly revealing to us what's in our hearts. But have you ever heard somebody say, I, I just can't be alone with myself at the moment? Right? It's because there's stuff in there that they don't want to face, and silence has a way of shouting out to us what's in our hearts. We often don't think 
like that or even think it's necessary to have our hearts exposed. We can, and this is what is indicative of our generation, we can mask our feelings of self-doubt and depression and insecurities, fears, inadequacies, pain, and so on, just as long as we stay busy enough. As long as I stay busy enough, my mind can be taken off of that. I don't have to deal with that thing in my heart, right? It doesn't, that voice is drowned out. I'm just busy, I'm just busy, I'm just busy. Some people are busy because of bad decisions that they're making. They can't say no. Some people are busy because they don't want to be quiet because there's pain and there's hurts that needs healing. When we try to sit quietly, we begin to notice how dependent we are on busyness and noise, right? Such as work, school, music, television, conversation. We use these things to distract us from what's really going on inside. I've noticed it before in my life when I'm going through a tough time. I come home, Mandy and the kids aren't there. I switch the TV on just to have noise there because the silence is deafening and it reminds me that I actually have issues in my heart to work through. We may even discover in solitude and silence that we turn to these things more often than not as a way of covering up or numbing our pain. And that, is, and that this constant busyness and noise keeps us from recognizing the true issues that need to be exposed. <coughs> I, I did a little trip last year <coughs> after our immersed conference. I really felt God call me away into the wilderness with them. Right? And I went to a friend's farm in the Eastern Cape and I made myself a little shack in the bush. Got a picture of it. I spent four days and three nights alone in the bush, right? Got there with nothing except for some geezer covering an, an axe and some, some string, right? It's in the middle of nowhere, like kilometers away from people. I experienced some significant spiritual growth there, but one of the things that I didn't expect to have happened was God revealed to me just how deep some of the fears were that I had in my heart. The first, the first day was fine. I got there 7 o'clock in the morning. It was beautiful. Sun was out, it was winter in the Eastern Cape, it's like fantastic, it's dry, it's cool, warm in the day, cool in the evening. So I built myself this little thing and I sat there, the first day was fantastic, right? The first night, amazing. Problem is I had to go to bed when the sun went down because I didn't get enough wood for fire, okay? Spend more time building that and it was great, I wasn't scared, it was the weirdest thing. I had no reason to be scared, right? Then I made myself a second night. I made myself a little fire. And that, that photo was taken by, by my friend who owns the farm. And he, he, he brought me once a day, he brought me a bottle of water. And he was like, Roland, I know you want to be away from people, but I'm going to bring you water just to make sure that there isn't a dead body lying here in the morning. And I was just like, oh my gosh. All right? But he brought me the water. And that night, I'm smiling there, but I can promise you I am terrified. And I don't know why. I don't know why. I was just so afraid. It was irrational. Right? It was ridiculous. That whole night, I didn't sleep. Right? I was terrified. I had weird dreams, demonic dreams, scary stuff. Right? The next day, I just sat. It was like this cloud was over me. And I was like, I'm giving up. I'm getting the heck out of here. Right? And I'm going up to the top of the farm, and I'm going to go sleep in a comfy bed. Right? And then God just said to me, this is why you've come into this place to be alone. I tried to sing. I had my guitar with me. The more I tried to make noise, the more it was just drowned out by the noise of nature around me. The more it sounded like it was interrupting what God was doing. I just had to sit and be quiet. There was too much energy needed to play guitar or even talk to myself in a whisper. It was just in my head. It was just in my heart and I was alone with the Lord. And then I chose to stay and be obedient to the Lord for the third night. And I just want to say, guys, this isn't about me and how well I did. This is about how good God was when I positioned myself in a place of solitude and silence. The third night, 
breakthrough. Gone. Nothing. No fear. Since coming out of that, that wasn't the only thing that God did, but since coming out of there, God has just revolutionized the way I've seen stuff. It's given me a godly perspective, and fear is no longer part of my life. Right? But it was so deeply rooted, but only through silence and solitude was that revealed to me. Right? Another guy who experienced this, this healing and this, and this, um, this sort of rejuvenation from the Lord through, through solitude and silence was the guy Elijah, the prophet Elijah. It says in 1 Kings 19, 3-8, Then he was afraid because Jezebel was after him. Right? He had just come from this place where he had destroyed the prophets of Baal. He had called down fire from heaven on a wet altar, and God consumed his sacrifice, and the prophets of Baal were slaughtered. But then Jezebel hears about this, and she pursues him and says, Hey, I'm going to kill you. And so he runs away for his life and came to a place called Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. And he left his servant there, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, it is enough. Now, Lord, oh, my God, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there um, was at his head a cake baked on hot stones in a jar of water and he ate and drank and lay down again and the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said arise and eat for the journey is great for you and he arose and ate and drank and and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb to the mountain of God Elijah experiences this healing and this touch of God in a place of solitude and silence and granted he didn't want to be there right but God pushes him into that place so that he can experience God's healing and God's restorative touch and God's provision. I just want to say to you, there's something that we are missing from God. There's something you're not going to be able to experience if you don't put yourself in that place of silence and solitude. Solitude and and sitting quietly long enough prevents us from avoiding the issues that are in our hearts that so desperately need to be exposed and placed into the hands of our Father so that he can perform the work that he needs to in our lives to bring deeper peace and healing. The second scripture is from Luke 4, verse 1, and, and this is what we learn from this scripture, that in solitude, God prepares us and equips us for more. Right? It says this short scripture, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. After this, we know that Jesus started his earthly ministry. And when I spoke on fasting, we said, you know, we we see clearly it says Jesus was full of the Spirit. But then after his 40 days of fasting and solitude um, before the Lord, he he left the desert in the power of the Spirit. So he goes in full, he leaves empowered. And he starts his earthly ministry. And it's not only in times of pain, right? This is what we learn. It's not only in times of pain and need of healing and, and, and emptiness that God draws us into a place of silence and solitude. It's also in times of great strength and victory that God calls us into solitude. He doesn't only want to heal us and restore us. He desires to equip us and prepare us for deeper works, for greater works for the kingdom. He wants to empower us. He wants to give us more tools. And at times, it comes from being alone with Him, free from distraction, free from noise. This thing isn't about repairing a hurt only. It's about getting more stuff for God so we can do more for the glory of His name. Right? There's an empowering that comes. The next scripture is from Matthew chapter 14, 19 to 32. And this is what I got out of this. That in solitude, 
we are refreshed from our work in the kingdom and prepared once again to go out in overflow. Right? That's what it says in verse 19. It says, from verse 19, Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And then they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women. So let's just assume it's one woman, one guy, round about. So there's 10,000 plus children. Add another 5,000, like 15,000 people there, right? Roughly. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Church, as we serve Jesus, right, this is going to be a reality. And the world makes you feel bad for this, right? Because it says this shouldn't happen at work, at home, and in the church. As you serve Jesus, as we walk obediently before our King, at home, at school, or at work, in any area of life, you are going to eventually get tired and need rest. That is going to happen, right? There will be times when we run out of energy, when we get tired, when our tanks need to be refilled, so to speak. And it's in those times when solitude and silence are necessary. At least it was for Jesus necessary. Right? It's important to know, though, that this time, like I said in the beginning, isn't just a time away to get away from the noise. And to be silent and to be alone for no reason. It's a time where we need to get away, be silent, and be before the Lord. Increased prayer, increased time of reading God's word, increased time of meditation and reflection so that God can speak clearly to us, so that we can be refreshed. In solitude and silence, we rest from ministry and then for ministry. Right? And not just those in the church. Your workplace is an area of ministry. Your school is an area of ministry. Right? Not just the church. Your Muslim friend, they're his family. They're an area of ministry for you. God wants you to bring and to demonstrate the power of the kingdom so that lives can be transformed. For those of us who are in Christ, we should strive never, and this is the thing, never ever allow your tank just to run dry and continue to run on empty. Right? It is unbiblical and unhelpful, this attitude that says we must just suck it up right, and keep going. The wise Christians seek silence and solitude so that they can return to people better, ready to love deeper, give more sacrificially, ready and primed to pour out our efforts, our energy, once more for the sake of Jesus and his kingdom. Jesus says, come to me and I'll give you rest. I want to fill you so that you overflow with rivers of living water. We need to become people who seek solitude and silence so that we can be refilled, so we can fulfill our callings and the passions God has given us with energy and zeal at home, at work, and in the church. That's what kingdom living is about. That's what's necessary to continue the work of Jesus. We need that infilling. We need that refreshing. You're not going to get it in front of the TV and by filling your life up with more busyness. It's just going to drain you. We need to be alone and silent before the Lord. The last scripture we're going to look at tonight is Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. 
verse 40 to 43. And so the Lord said to me, and this is what I got out of this, that in solitude, we allow ourselves to listen long enough to hear the soft whisper of God and allow Him to set the agenda for our lives and prioritize our desires and plans. In a sense, we relinquish control back over to the King. Do you know that our busyness in our lives sometimes is all about us wanting to gain control and keep control and feel like we've set the agenda for our lives, nobody else. And so I'm more and more busy with the stuff I want to do because I actually want to be in control. Not because you've got great work ethic, but because you want to know that your day is filled with what you've decided to be filled with. Or at least it's filled with something that you think is meaningful and you're just going to keep jam-packing it because it allows you to stay in control and gain a sense of self-worth apart from God. And I just want to say, it may seem good, but that's unhealthy. But it's unhealthy. This is what it says. It says, Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. So the sun is setting, right? It's evening. It's about this time. Right? So they came to Jesus, and um, he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, you are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, this is all, it goes the whole night through, right? When it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. And would, yeah, kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for that is why I was sent. That is my purpose. I want to suggest to you that that was not easy for Jesus, right, to leave that place. Think about the text we've just read, right? Think about Jesus' position. Put yourself in his shoes. People are clamoring all around you for help. They're desperate for your healing touch. Their needs are not insignificant, right? They are very deep and they are very real and you are able to help them. You've been doing it the whole night. From healing people to restoring people's hearts to delivering them from demonic oppression. You're healing you're able to restore them. Could you ever feel, and this is a serious question to contemplate and to think about, could you or would you ever feel justified in that time to pull away from those people? Or would you sense the responsibility to stay and to go and to go and to go and to go and to go? See, Jesus felt that he could leave. He thought he could leave. And he also chose when they found him again to move on compelled by his calling and purpose. And I'm convinced of this, right? That although it wasn't easy, that perspective came as a result of getting away and being alone with his father. His father saying to him, this is good work, but I want to prioritize for you what you need to do. And I just want to remind you, and you need to be reminded of your calling, of your purpose, of why you're here, because you can get bogged down doing stuff that's good all the time. But I want to suggest to you that if you're the one who's choosing to do that, and if you're not listening to the Father, if you're not taking time to hear His voice, you will end up doing good stuff, but not the best stuff that God has for you. So often we want to be in control and be in charge. We want to stay in control and stay 
in charge. But as you begin to make space and to be alone with the Lord, so more often you find yourselves taking more purposeful steps, more directional steps or directed steps, pinpointed steps of faith and obedience, which ultimately culminates in this mind-blowing, life-changing experience of God's plans being fulfilled in your life. You see, often in the kingdom, right, obedience and effectiveness is not the difference between choosing what's good and what's bad. Often, obedience and effectiveness in the kingdom is the difference between, cho- uh, between choosing what's good and what's better, what's good and what's best, what's good and what's actually God's heart for you in that time. Right? We cannot say yes to everything, but we have to say yes to the right things. We live in a world where we want to say yes to everything because we're people-pleasers, right? And we burn out because we don't know how to say no effectively. God's heart was for those people, but he knew that the kingdom was coming in a way that it had never before when the Holy Spirit came, right? Jesus was one man at that time, not omnipresent. He could only be in one place at one time, and the Father said to him, you need to move on. If he didn't take time to be alone and to listen to the still, small voice of God, he may still have stayed and have missed what God wanted him to do somewhere else. I want to say to you, solitude and silence is important because it helps us to hear that voice of God. Elijah again learned this lesson, right? In 1 Kings 19 again, God is speaking to him after he took him to the mountain. This is what he says, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And Elijah heard it. He wrapped his face in a cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? God is not always going to be shouting to us. And I'm afraid that even if he is and did, we would still miss him because of the amount of noise and clutter and busyness that we've jammed into our lives. There are times when God whispers to draw us out of our caves and into his presence so we can hear his still, small voice, which always brings encouragement, which always brings direction, which always brings refreshment, discipline, direction, and hope. And it is all for our benefit to bless us, to bring glory to his name, because he's a good father. To experience that we need to train our ears for silence, both physically and spiritually. Physically by finding a quiet place and being alone, and spiritually by just waiting on the Lord. Just waiting. We've lost that art of just waiting alone and being quiet. David in Psalm 130, it won't come up here, says this, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits for the Lord. More than watchmen wait for the morning, so my soul waits for the Lord. More than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. He's speaking about watchmen at the temple who were doing the night duty and they would stand there and they would take God and would stand God, sort of like Buckingham Palace and those guys. They would just stand there, right? And they would stand at the temple to guard the temple. And they would stand from sundown to sunup. And you would know that at night your family are at home, warm in their beds, and you could be there with them, but you have this responsibility to fulfill, and the only thing that's going to save you right now is dawn, the sun coming up. Then I get to go home and sleep and be with my family. David says, more than they watch for the morning, more than they watch for the morning, so my soul waits for the Lord. 
We need to unplug, guys. Find a quiet place to be away from the hum of technology, the demands of schoolwork and work and family so that we can be with our God. So that He can heal us, refresh us, restore us and bring us back in a better way, more filled to overflowing so we can bring Him honor, glory and praise and lead others into living the same way. That's me done. I really feel like we need to honor this pattern in our lives and bring God glory. I don't have time, but if you want to know some of the practical stuff you can do, right, come and chat to me afterwards. It doesn't have to be a retreat like I did in the bush. right? It can just be 10 minutes. Start 10 minutes alone, quiet by yourself. There's so many different practical things that you can do that make this accessible for you. But I want you to get the heart. I believe God wants you to get the heart of this thing. This is not just an insignificant thing. This is about you being restored and understanding that that can only happen sometimes the way God wants it to, through solitude and silence. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you for our time together. I want to thank you for your word, how rich it is, God, how you direct us, how you lead us, how you call us into deeper intimacy with you, how you make available to us these tools, these patterns, these disciplines that bless us and enrich us because they put us at the foot of the cross, at the foot of the throne before our King. And I pray, God, that we'd be a people who reject the culture that we live in and reject the cultural norms and say no to burning out and say no to excessive busyness and noise and say no to resisting the healing touch of God and actually step into a place where we are alone and silent with you often so we can be for you sharp and effective tools in your hand. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.